What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Write Who You Know, the screenwriting podcast. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Wow, today is Monday, uh, the 25th of September. It is Yom Kippur, and as of last night at like 7.15 p.m., the Writers Guild of America has finally struck a deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, and uh, we can get back to work. It's incredibly exciting. Uh, Very funny to see a lot of... uh, the Jewish uh, Hollywood uh, elite or the executives, et cetera, et cetera, in Temple, all refreshing their phones on deadline, um, waiting for the news. And uh, I'm very excited. I'm really interested to see, I'm sure like everybody, I'm really interested to see what what the details of the deal are and what it is about AI and what the language is about uh, what happens with minimum staffing and residuals. I mean, these are all big fucking does. But I want to know. Let us know. But um, what I really want to do before this episode is send a huge thank you to all of the writers that were out there every single day picketing, walking in the sun. Uh, A lot of people much better than I. Because while I went, I did not go as often as I probably should have. And I really do appreciate the work of the strike captains all the people that that came to support, whether they were in SAG or the WGA or in other unions or no unions at all, there were agents and managers, executives were out there on uh, on occasion, and really just my ha- my heart goes out to everybody out there and every family member that has had to weather this strike because uh, it's been incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging, and I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, uh, I was able to get some work because I'm also a dual member of the Animation Guild. Uh, but for 99% of working writers, Guild of America writers, they is a full-blown work stoppage, um, and that's fucking devastating emotionally, financially, and uh, all other sorts of ways. So my heart and my mind and my soul on this Yom Kippur goes out to everybody who marched and who rallied and who supported us, uh, and to everyone on the negotiating committee, specifically Ellen Stutzman, Chris Kaiser, David Goodman. No, but none of them are listening to this. But uh, it's important that we mention their name. Um, but speaking of a new name on this episode today, we got Mike Hobart. Uh, full disclosure, Mike is a buddy of mine. I met him writing on Undateable. He's written on shows like American Housewife. He's currently writing on The Very Loud House now that we're allowed to be writing again. Um, and I could not be more excited for you guys to meet him because he was someone that I look up to, uh, even though I think he's a little shorter than me, that doesn't matter. And, um, he helped me through my first year of being a staff writer by being a good guy. He also sent pictures of me asleep in his office to the showrunner, which I didn't love, but, uh, it was a comedy. So that's to be expected. And I believe we set up his office, uh, full blown in the bathroom, uh, as part of some sort of retaliation. So that's what's up. Mike Hobart, write who you know. We've got a WGA deal. Let's get into it. Let's talk. Let's celebrate. Gamartov. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them write what you know. No, tell them write who you know. All right, so here, here's where we'll start. Uh, I've known for a long time that uh, you write, your brother writes. Did you guys grow up loving comedy? First of all, like, where did you grow up? How many brothers do you have? Give me a little, pay me a little picture of the family life of the Hoberts. I'm from Wisconsin. Grew up just directly between Milwaukee and Madison. I have four older brothers. 
uh, I am nine years after the last one. So you're the baby. I'm I, I'm the accident, for sure. Okay. I, I'm an accident. Like I have a brother who's 16 years older, 15 years older, 12 years older, and nine years older than me. <laughs> so it's like I, I had different parents. I based yeah. Um, yeah, and my brothers are all. We come from a very funny family. My brothers are all very funny, um, and my brother, who's a writer, uh, I think always knew he wanted to do something in comedy. Um, you know, Steve Martin's "Let's Get Small" was on repeat in our house when we grew up. And then my brother, it took him, I think, seven years to finish college because of a pesky Spanish class. And sounds like Van Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. You should watch it. It's streaming on Hulu right now. Great. Thank you. I watched it last night. Um, yeah. And so he moved to Aspen uh, to ski and teach skiing. And then from Aspen moved to L.A. Um, and that was 1994. And then I graduated from high school in 97. And because I was an accident, my parents had already done all of the work of being parents. Mm -hmm. And so in March of my senior year, I went into my guidance counselor's office and I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's talk college. What do, what do we, what are we thinking? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Um, why don't you tell me where you applied? And I was like, oh no, no, I haven't applied yet. Like, let's talk about where to apply. And he was like, dude, like it's March. People, their acceptance letters are coming out. And so I didn't have, um, I literally didn't, I had, the option I had was like a, a state school in Wisconsin that was like an offshoot. Um, so I didn't want to do that. So I moved to New York where my brother lived. Uh, and he was, he had just started writing on Spin City. Um, how old was he at the time? Uh, let's see. I was 18. So he would have been 30, 31. Got it. Yeah. Was that his first staffing job? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at 18, I moved to New York because I didn't have really an option to go to college um, and started pursuing acting. Incredible. So when you say you started pursuing acting, like was it like comedic through improv or like were you just like having headshots printed? You want to be a serious actor? Like who did you want to be? Yeah. Or I like mean, what were your... What I, was... just, I just wanted to be an actor. I went to, um, I went to the Strasburg School. Um, That's pretty impressive, is it not? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. I don't think so. All right. I think anybody can kind of go. Okay. It was so weird. It was so weird. Why? It was like I I I went from a town like a town of of all white people, right? <laughs> like six hundred people in Wisconsin, to a building of six hundred people in New York, and in an acting class or conservatory where where like one of the people was like, okay, so today for class. We're going to take the next four hours and um, pretend to be snakes. And I'm going to watch you guys, and you're going to embody a snake. Um, you're going to feel what it feels like to be a snake. You're going to think like, and I was like, what? What is happening? Like, what? <laughs> this, how, what does this have to do with anything? And uh, did you do it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For I mean, four fucking yeah, hours? Yeah, I was a good snake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was a good snake. Yeah, I was a good snake. Um, the Mike Hobart story. <laughs> yeah, that's my memoir. Yeah. I was a good snake, <laughs> not good enough to succeed, <laughs> but good. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I did that place for like a year, year and a half, maybe two, and then I went over to Meisner, uh, which is a whole different like 
you know, theory or, you know, method. What's the, what's acting. the, what's the like headline of the Meisner's? The Meisner is all like back and forth. So, you know, you're like, you know, I'm wearing a red shirt. I'm like, you're wearing a red shirt. And it's just, it's, it's really, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. It's been mm. 20, I don't know how many years. Uh, but I think that's what it is. It's, it's just listening and responding and really being in the moment. And, um, yeah. And I love that. That was much more, um, what I anticipated. Um, not nearly as weird. Uh, yeah. So you're in the Meisner school. Yeah. Were you going on auditions? Were you like trying to get an agent? Like what, when you're, when you're working as an actor in your young twenties in New York, like what, what was the goal? Like get on Felicity or like, what did you just like get on anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always the goal. Um, yeah. I, so I, I, you know, through my brother and through some other people got connected with some people. And so I got, um, a manager that was by coastal. Um, and my very first job when I was 18, I looked like I was probably nine years old. And so the very first job I ever booked was on all my children. And I was playing a teenage father, even though I looked like I was nine years old. Even though you look like the child of a... Yes. Of a... I, could, I looked like a, the child of a teenager, <laughs> not the father. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the goal obviously is to, to you know, get great parts and, yeah. and do fun things. Um, so I did that. and Was it a speaking role? Yeah, yeah. Did you feel like I did it? I'm in. Like when you get the first. Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, for me, yeah, it was a big deal. Do you remember where you were when you got the call? Uh, probably in my tiny, tiny apartment. And did you like freak out? Like, I was very excited. Take me through that moment. I don't remember it totally. Um, again, it was so long ago. Okay. And I'm my my memory is so bad, but I do remember being very excited and then immediately being very nervous. Okay. Um, but I I do remember the audition, and I left the audition thinking. Holy shit! Like, I could be a teenage father. Um, you know what? When you came in, Mike, we didn't see Mike. Yeah, we didn't see. Uh, <coughs> yeah, big brother. Yeah, <laughs> big brother. Yeah. Um, okay, so we you're see, yeah. you get the first part, and I'm gonna let you take a water break. Thanks, bud. No problem. Yeah, yeah, I get the first part. Then, um, then my brother got me a gig on Spin City, which was very fun. Um, and again, I looked like I was 12, but I played a hotel clerk. Um, and I had a scene with Michael J. Fox, which was great. Um, and then shortly after all that, I felt like, you know what? I'm ready to move to L.A. I'm ready to go big. I got two parts. I'm rolling. Things are happening. Yep. Got a bi-coastal manager. Fuck yeah. Yeah, let's do this. Um, and so after three years, I moved to L.A. to pursue acting. And when you moved to L.A., like, were you couch surfing? Where, like, were you... Uh... So in New York, I took, so my brother lured me out to New York uh, with the promise of being able to live with him. But he was newly engaged and working on Spin City, and they worked basically 24 hours a day. So I stayed with him and his fiance, he and his fiance, him, um, for one night. And then he sat me down. He was like, hey, buddy, um, this isn't going to work. Because uh, they were in a, a studio, yeah. right? So it was the three of us, and it was just not going to work. That's a pilot. Sure. Um, it gets better. Uh, so he was like, but look, dude, there's a YMCA just down like 54th and 7th. Um, I'm going to set you up there. You know, you can stay there until we find you a place. So I, I moved into the YMCA for one night and it had a TV on the wall, on the ceiling with no remote. 
but the TV was so high that you couldn't change the channels or turn it off if you wanted to. So the TV was on all night. In your room. In my room. Oh my yeah, God. which was which was literally like... It the was size of this podcast studio? Smaller. Okay. Yeah, a little bit longer, but but skinnier. And there were there were people moaning and... It was it was mayhem. I'm picturing the mo- you remember when Josh Baskin in the movie Big spends that night in the horrible hotel in New York City where he's hearing like people get murdered yeah. outside. Yeah, that's what <laughs> and, it was. Like gunshots yeah. and moaning. So I called my brother the next day. I was like, I, I I cannot do this. Like, what am I gonna do? And he was like, Look, we are working very long hours at, at Spin City, which was based the offices were based at Chelsea Piers. He's like, Come come in at like ten PM, right? You can sit in my office and just go to sleep. He's like, we have uh, futons because we spend the night so much. So I moved into the Spin City offices for uh, just over a month. I lived there. So I would sleep there, and then before the writers would come in, I would leave. And I would use my brother's key card to get into the gym at Chelsea Piers, shower, and then get out. And then I would come back at 10 p.m. Um, Question for you. Yeah. Was this... was this the when you met Bill Lawrence? Yes. Uh, yeah. Did so was it? He was working on the show, and you are the brother. He created. Yeah, he created it. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> that I'm aware of. Yes. But was your first interaction with him like, "Hey, I'm Mike. I'm crashing in Tim's office." I mean, office? I think I met Bill in L.A. in '94. Because when my bro moved to L.A., he and Bill met playing basketball, and they became good buddies. Got it. Okay. So then I I came to L.A. So I think I met Bill briefly, but when I moved to New York. Is when I, you know, got to know Bill because I was living in his offices. Yeah, did so that's what my question. Did anyone catch on to the fact that like Mike is sleeping in Yeah, I mean, yes. Okay. Yes. And Bill was very cool about it because he understood that like I don't have I don't have an option. Yeah, it's this or the why, Bill. Yeah, and the why <laughs> I'm I'm gonna die if I live at the Y. Yeah. Okay. Uh so then I I a buddy of Tim's was moving out of New York. And so I just slid into his studio apartment. And then I went to pay the rent uh, the next month. And I was like, hey, here's my rent. And the woman was like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm living in 1C now. Um, and she was like, no, Steve lives there. I was like, oh, no, I took over for Steve. And she was like, no, that's not how this works. She's like, we're going to, that's just not how this works. And I was like, oh, well, like everything I own is in there. And I've already built a, a, a um, bunk bed, like, I've, I built it. I've made a home here. <laughs> I did. I, yeah. And so she was like, well, I got to talk to the, the owners and see. And, and ultimately, they let me stay. Um, Thank God. Yeah, man. Otherwise, back to the Y. Yeah. Or back to the Spin City. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I ended up living in that, that place. Um, and were you continuing to act? like? Yeah, I was pursuing acting and going to, to acting school that whole time. And I was working at the Sports Club LA, which was... Um, a very high-end uh, Oh, I remember. Yeah. What were you doing there, may I ask? I was a key... I was working in the key desk, and um, I was working... I met a guy there uh, named Sam Jagger, who's a... Uh, a now, he does very well as an actor. Um, I met... Th- that, that, the, the time I was there, it was like a incubator for, for very talented people. I love um, it. Which was amazing. Um, so anyway, Sam and I became best friends. We handed out locker keys. Uh... It was we were just monkeys, just <laughs> trained monkeys in nice white outfits. Yep. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I got the, that was a crazy place to work. 
And upon this journey, where is it where you get the bug to like, maybe I, well, you also did other stuff first. You were on Scrubs. I, I saw, you know, you did animal control. Like at what point do you, I don't, I did not, I don't think animal I did patrol. It. What's the show where you played the, Oh, the pet squad. Yes. Yeah. Why did I call it animal control? Well, I think first you called it animal patrol. I did. Yeah. Which I have not been on. Okay. Well, I don't even know if it's a show. I don't think it is. Yeah. If it's not, we should can we, sell it. We when the strike's it? over. Let's write it. <laughs> Great. Great. All right. We've just sold a show. Perfect. Um, where did you get the bug to write? Or like the idea, was it because of your brother? Or like, were you just fed up with acting? No, techniques? yes. So I moved to LA when I was 21, after three years in New York. And uh, immediately moved into Hollywood just another insane place to live. What year is this, just for context? Uh, 2000. Okay. Yeah. And the the Russian guy who owned the building or managed the building that, that I moved into with Sam and my friend Shad, uh, he sat us down and, and, you know, it was such a dump. It was such a dump. And he goes, boys, this place in five years, better than Beverly Hills. Where were you? We were on uh, Las Palmas and Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it, he was very wrong. <laughs> he couldn't have been more wrong. Um, so anyway, right after I moved out here, I got very close to uh, a lead role in a pilot. Um, I met. I, I auditioned for Hild Ramis a couple times for the show you know, signed the contracts, all that stuff, thought I was going to get it, didn't get it. And then almost immediately after that, um, like, tore ligaments in my ankle playing basketball. And so I was on crutches for, gosh, like three or four months. Oh my God. It was awful. It was awful. And I got really depressed, and the acting thing was was fine, but it was just like I would get really close to things and then not get them. And it was just no after no after no after no. And my two buddies that I was living with were, were starting to build. You know, they were starting to get, get parts and, and do well. And I was just stuck at home because I couldn't, I couldn't work and I couldn't do anything. So I got very depressed and uh, decided to quit acting because I, I just wasn't happy. Um, and then I went to work for a youth group in Burbank. And like as like, um, as like, a, as like a bigger brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, more or less. Um, and they were like, Hey, if you want to move up in this organization, you have to have a college degree, which I did not have. So I decided to go to college, um, so that I could work up in, in that thing. And then when I went to college, I was like, Oh shit, you know, like my brother's a writer. I know a bunch of writers. I don't like waiting around for auditions. I, I think I'm kind of funny. Um, so I decided that I would try writing. Um, so I went to Glendale Community College, did two years in one. Then after, it's another crazy story, but got into USC film school um, uh, and then went there and, and there they also really pushed writing. Yeah. So when I graduated from USC, uh, it was just kind of a, a, a next natural step. Good on you for going to do all that. Yeah, That's yeah. very impressive. I had no idea that you did that. Yeah, yeah, and it took me, it took me three tries so I did two years in one at Glendale Community College, and they said if you maintain like a 4.0 or something, you're guaranteed uh, acceptance into the state schools and USC. This is like the plot of Rudy. Did yeah. you remember that? No. Rudy, it's like the father, like Father Cadilly or whoever the fuck tells him if you maintain your, your grades and you do, 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 
you might be able to get a slot in Notre Dame and then walk onto the football team. Yeah. And he tries three different times to get into Notre Dame, and on the third time, yeah. he nails it. There you go. Uh, so I got accepted into USC because I did that at, at the community college and didn't get into the film school. So I was like, all right, I'll go for a semester, like work my ass off, get a 4.0 at USC and prove to them that I deserve to be in the film school. So I did that, applied again, didn't get in. Um, so then I switched my major to Spanish. Uh, took one Spanish class, and the teacher pulled me aside at the end, and she was like, hey, what's your major? And I was like, oh, it's Spanish. She's like, yeah, it's not. It's definitely not. Like, <laughs> you, you need to find something else to do. Um, so then I, I had another kind of existential crisis, moved to the Dominican Republic, tried to drop out of USC and, and never go back, and the counselor was like, I'm going to put that you're just taking a leave. And I was like, put that I'm never coming back. He's like, I'm going to put that you're taking a leave. I was like, great, but mark the box that says I hate this place and I'm never coming back. Mark the box yeah. that says I hate this yeah. place. Fuck USC for taking all my money and not letting me in. Um, and then I, there's a, a, a professor there named Drew Casper who is like a legend at USC. And I took his class and just wrote down everything that he said was his favorite, like Doris Day's his favorite actress, wrote down his favorite movie, all of this stuff. And then as a fuck you to USC, my third application, I just wrote everything that Drew Casper liked as that, that it said it was my favorite, like all of that stuff. Um, and then at the end, I, I think I wrote like, I'm just kidding. Like this, I, I, I hate this place. I, I've worked my ass off and whatever. Um, so I went to the Dominican, moved there as like trying to figure my life out. Was supposed to be there from... Um, February until May of whatever, 03 that was, decided to cut my trip short at the beginning of March because I felt like I would kind of found myself again. And when I got back to my bro's house, there was a letter from USC that said, please respond by March 8th. And I got back on March 6th and I'd gotten in. And I, I literally called USC and I was like, is this real? Did I really get in? I, I cannot believe this. Um, and they said yes. Um, Even with the fuck you letter. I think maybe because of the fuck you letter. Incredible. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. And had I stayed in the Dominican, you would have never, I would have missed it, missed the opportunity. Um, Yeah. So, anyway, graduated from USC and then started pursuing writing. When you say started pursuing writing, were you like, did you go see like Robert McKee seminar? Did you read Save the Cat? Or like, where did you ask your brother, like, hey, send me every Spin City script or whatever? Like, what was your process into, I'm going to teach myself screenwriting? That, other than after USC, you know, because you yeah, probably... Yeah, I mean, look, that's just it. Is that, like, my brother has been, you know, my he's been my mentor since I was born. You know, like, taught me how to tie my shoes. He would take me Halloween trick-or-treating. You know, so that it, it was very natural, I think, for me to kind of go into writing because I've always really looked up to him and, and think he's amazing. So when I graduated, I was living at their house because um, he's done very well, and they had a room, and I was their nanny and, and worked at Gladstone's slinging crab, and then I would write at night. And, you know, basically, like, I, my, my first script that I wrote was a Kirby Enthusiasm spec based on uh, an event that happened to me that was horrifying. Um, and I would just, you know, as I kind of beat out the story, you know, I, I would take a week, beat out some stuff, show it to him. He would give me his notes. I would adjust, take a week, show it to him. And slowly but surely I had my first script. Um, but that's basically it. Like 
he's 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 my sounding board for everything that I write always. Sounds like uh, he's a good guy. He's the best. I met him once on a show night. I mean, yeah. he was a, a he's tall. No. Yeah, he's like six one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I was just it struck because I'm short. Okay. Yeah, you think? Sorry, Mike. That's okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up any harsh. I know. So you write this first script, yeah, and then then you're like, how do I what like what what, what now? Yeah. So Tim and I ask you this because I feel like a lot of writers, they always think like step one is get an agent, and I'm like, no, step one is write a fucking great script. Yeah. I think, and I think that's a step everyone sort of overlooks because. For some reason in society, like getting the agent, apparently people think that's just like, dude, you did it done forever. I will say this, like, like my my brother has been incredibly helpful. And and I think there's there's also been now I'm gonna sound like such a dick. No. Uh, but I think there's been a little bit of like golden handcuffs too. Um, especially when I was starting out. Because everybody that that I reached out to was somebody that he knew. And they never saw me as my own person. They saw me as Tim's, Tim's little, little brother. Tim's little brother. And so there was, I, I was rarely taken seriously, um, which was frustrating. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Looking back now, I get it. Um, I understand why, why people kind of thought I was a joke and maybe still do. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, Tim helped me get in touch with a, a younger agent uh, where he was at his agency. And I sent the agent the script. And the agent was was very nice in reading it and giving me the time of day. I, I'm forever grateful to him. Um, and he called me back and he was like, hey dude, script's great. Um, I want you to write your own pilot and another spec and then get back to me. Um, and, and I hung up the phone and I was like, fuck. <laughs> like I'm fucked. Like that first script took me months to do. Um, yeah, so anyway, that... That was a real that was a real kind of bummer, but to your point, it's like if you want to be a writer, step one, write. Yeah, you got to write a bunch of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I took the next year and wrote a pilot, and then another spec, um, and then I and then I got back to the agent, uh, and and he was like, yeah, great, this is good, you know. He's like, we'll we'll kind of hip pocket you you know we'll we'll look out for you but not like officially sign you um and yeah so that's what happened and then I just kept writing and writing and writing and writing um and then my bro got he took over a show um and hired me as his assistant like the showrunner's assistant what show is this this was till death okay yeah so this was 06, 07, 08. Um, I also want to stop and say good on you for, you know, I feel like a lot of people would, would have a hard time eating the humble pie of, like, I'm my brother's assistant. Same way I think a lot of people would have a hard time going to Barney's after you've been staffed on a TV show. But I think those are the things that, that really show who you are as a person, and that's tr fucking true character. And, like, I think that's the kind of level you need to want to do this to be able to do this because... It is so frustrating and challenging and hard. Otherwise, like, why are you? Why put yourself through this if you don't really want to, you yeah. know, be a writer? Yeah, I mean, like, first off, I, I, I've never had more respect for you than when you took that job at Barney's. Because to your point again, it's like, how bad do you want something, and are you willing to say, yeah, this is what I got to fucking do? You know, like, I do I want to do I want to go work at Barney's? 
after having been staffed on a show? Absolutely not. But do I want to keep living in LA and afford myself the opportunity? Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I give you a lot of credit for that. Um, Take me back to you though. Till death, showrunner's assistant to Tim Hobart. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I spent a year as as his assistant slash writer's assistant, kind of learning when I could um, from the other writer's assistants. And then the second year, he brought me on as a staff writer. Um, and that was the, the, the year of the strike, 0708. Oh, shit. Yeah. So you finally get your break and then... Finally get my break and then like four months in, uh, we go on strike forever. Not forever, but for a long time. Like 108 days, I think? Something like that, yeah. 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 What was your first experience in the writer's room? Like, were you intimidated? Were you nervous? Or were you, like, what Like, what were you, do you even remember, like, your first week? I do, man. I, I remember it. It was really, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it was not great. Because, uh, again, I was the little brother, you know, I, and, and I think a lot of people felt like I hadn't earned earned the position that, that I was given. Um, and I was given it, you know. It was not... Um, but you did the work, even even if the other people didn't know that. I mean, I feel like I did. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like uh, ever since I moved to New York from high school, I, I that's when my work started. Um, but but from the outside, it's like, oh, here's this dipshit whose brother runs the show, and so he gets a job. Um, but you probably proved them wrong pretty quick. I, you know, man, I don't think I did. No, I don't think so. I don't think I did a great job on that show. I, I you know. Maybe I maybe I did okay, but like you know, I was a staff writer. Like I I I did the best I could, um, but I don't think I was particularly good. Did Tim give you any like t- tips or like like you had been in rooms probably as the showrunner's assistant? Did you, you know, did you feel like oh I just gotta do this or like I should just be a cheerleader or like also I have to ask like that must have been very challenging in the event you did maybe disagree with your brother on a story point or. Yeah, that was not gonna. You know, I was not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. So you were like, I'm not. I'm not gonna fucking tell my brother. Like, no. hey, dude, you're okay. Good. No. And no. you shouldn't. By the way, even if it's not your brother, or if it is your brother, you should never tell the showrunners, the staff writer. I don't agree with you on where the story's going. No. Just help your boss get where he's going, and yes. then yes. you know, yeah, you can tell everyone later how how much of a dumbass he is. Yeah. But I do remember, like, we would break into smaller groups, and I would try and contribute, and and in in retrospect, you know. I do feel like, you know, that that people were just kind of like, you know, tolerating me as opposed to like, you know, I was a part of something. Um, so so it was a it was a a difficult first job uh, on a staff, I think, because of of those reasons. And again, all I think valid. Everybody had valid feelings of of why. I shouldn't be there. Why it was annoying to have me there? All you know, all of it. So I don't, I don't begrudge anybody for for anything that happened uh, during that year. And also, it was a very challenging uh, show in general, um, you- just for a, for a number of different reasons. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from to, till death. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Where do I meet you in this story? So that's what I'm trying to build. To. Here we go. Are this is this are we getting to the we'll denouement? Get, we'll we'll yeah we'll jump forward. So I had that first job until death, my first staff job, and then I did not work for five years. Oh my god! Yeah, just because of how hard it is and yeah, man, yeah, fuck yeah. 
What did you do for those five years? Um, I so my best friend Sam, I produced his feature film, uh, independent film. I did that. Um, my best friend from college, Bobby, I produced a documentary for him through the UN Foundation. Um, and then man, just ate a bunch of shit. You know, like I went back to work for my brother as their nanny slash maid. Um, yeah. And that, and that's how I paid the bills for years. Uh, and, and you want to talk about like, you know, he had, he has four kids and his, he has twins and they were, I think six at the time. And I was on my hands and knees cleaning, uh, the toilet. And my, my niece, Ella, uh, walks by the bathroom and I'm just like scrubbing away and I see her stop and then come back and look into the bathroom and I look at her and she just goes <laughs> bathroom day and then kept walking <laughs> as like a seven-year-old and it was I, it was at that point where I was like okay like I'm not happy it's time to quit um and I I had just written a pilot called Uncle Mike based on my experience as my brother's maid slash nanny um and my brother was in an overall deal with NBC or with Warner Brothers, and they he he wanted to redevelop a pilot that he had developed with NBC, and ultimately it wasn't going to work out because of ownership and stuff like that, and so he was kind of up against it, and he really liked the pilot that I had written, um, and he had helped me a lot, and he was like, hey, how would you feel if we took this pilot, retroactively pitched it, and then wrote it, and I was like fuck yes. I'm cleaning your toilets. Like, I'll, yes. Yes. Sure. Please. Yes. Uh-huh. Of course. When do we start? Yes. Uh, yeah. And so we did that. And so he just cut me a check out of his deal and we used, you know, we, we rewrote it. Um, but we used kind of the, the premise of that pilot that I had written. So that bought me, that was 11, right? So that bought me with the lifestyle I had 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think he paid me a hundred grand and that literally I could live for ever. I could with totally yeah, same. Yeah. Um, not right now, but definitely not now, no. but back then it was like, I'm, I, I, I Rich forever. live forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we did that then sold another pilot the following year and then, um, undateable came along and Bill had three shows that year. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, Ground floor, yes. surviving Jack, yes. undate a brew. Yes. Yeah, and he uh, and Bill, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, Bill gave me some great advice a few years prior, and he was like, you know, because I, I would, I would ask him for, you know, guidance and whatever, and he was like, the problem with you is I don't know what you are. You know, when I met you, you were an actor. You know, then a few years ago you were like producing movies. Now you want to be a writer. He's like, you got to pick a lane and stick with it until you get really good at it and successful, and then you can branch out. He's like, but pick a lane. And so, you know, a few You're like, years... I did. My wife is Elaine. You fucking... <laughs> pick a lane. I picked a lane. Um, but I'm ching. Yeah. And so I told, I, I told him, I was like, all right, I want to be a writer. And then, again, wrote a bunch more scripts. So that when Undateable came along and Surviving Jack and, and Ground Floor, there was an opportunity for me to get on. And that's where we meet. 
And did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? Did were you playing basketball? How how did you how did you get back? You know, because it's when he gave you that take a pick a lane speech. When did you go back and be like, I've picked a lane. Here's my script. Please let me fucking prove to you I can do this. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I'd always I'd, i I I'd been close to Bill via my brother, uh, and been playing basketball in in the Tuesday night game for you know forever. Um, and Bill, you know, Bill has always, always been so incredibly generous and just across the board with everything, with his time, with his, uh, insights. He'll never listen to this. You don't have to lie. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. And so that would have been, I think probably 07 when he gave me that advice. And then, you know, it was what, five, five five more years. Yeah. So I'd been writing a lot, so that when it came along, I was ready, you know. And did you did you send him a script? Like, did you like where? Yeah, I'm just I'm genuinely curious because I feel like that that is such a it takes such um, courage to say to someone like I listened to what you said. I've been writing for five years. Like, put my soul into this thing. Like, I mean, yeah, I think it probably took less courage for me because you know him. because of my friendship with him. Yes. Um. Uh. But yeah, you know, I'm sure over the course of those years. You know, like I, I let him know, like, hey, I'm, I, I would, I would send him scripts when I wrote them, see what he thought. Um, you know, yeah. So, so when, when those three shows came, you know, he had to staff three shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he was, again, amazing in in putting me on. So you start season one of Undateable. Mm-hmm. I don't come till season two. Yes. That's where we meet in our in our. You know, it's funny on other podcasts that I have done, I talk about. I didn't really understand that in a comedy room you could do anything almost. Mm-hmm. Almost. Uh, yeah. And yeah. on day one, you know, everyone's sending us cakes, you know, WME, UTA, ICM, from your friends at Doozer or whatever. Cakes, mu- cupcakes, cookies. A giant fucking cake showed up. And I don't know who it was, but someone says, like, Mike, do drunk baby. Do you remember this? Yeah. You walked out of the room, came back into this room with no shirt. And like plowed your head like a full force into this cake as like a drunken baby, and I, that was so eye opening to me. Is like holy shit! Like I've I'm here. Like I, this is exactly where I want to be. Like this is they got drawers full of Starbursts and people are doing shirtless bits with cake. Like this rules. And I truly think of that moment as like, I think that was like day one. That was like truly my entree into comedy writers rooms. Yeah. Drunk baby. So thank you, dude. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> the the other bit that I remember very much from that was uh, Craig Doyle's um, smooth jazz bomb, where he would take a Bluetooth, <laughs> put on smooth jazz, and just roll it into yeah. the writer's dude. room. Yes, which I also love very much. Incredible. Um, <clears throat> what are your what do you remember what What are your first opinions of me as a young staff writer? Not to oh. make this about me, but I'm genuinely yeah. curious. I thought you were a fucking idiot. I know I was. Yeah. Do you remember? I was falling asleep in your office. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. What else? I love you, and so I can say yeah, it. Yeah, no, you and, can say it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand, like... Yeah. Also, I had no context of, like, what was going on in terms of, like, the promotions and who... Sure. <laughs> so yeah. when I was sleeping in your office, yeah, I'm sure, you know... There was also, like, again, I had the... The benefit of having been a staff writer, you know, for a season and knowing like knowing kind of how shitty it could be and what was expected and all the rest. And then coming into Undateable, 
as a staff writer, but having sold a couple of pilots and having been writing for a long time, you know, not necessarily successfully, but like, yeah, it, you know, you, you had the air of somebody who, who just was like, couldn't believe they were there as opposed to the air of somebody who was like, I'm going to fucking grind, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But in heaven. Yeah. But you are a delight. And so, but quickly, you know, and that's what, that's the thing that I think is so important is like, I didn't, I just truly, like, you, you're you so right. Like, I was just like, I'm so happy to be here. Like, I'll stay till four in the morning. I don't give a shit, yeah. you know? And you, I remember Joel once, I pitched a joke, and it got in whatever we were doing. And, like, DeWalt and I did, like, yes, like, comedically. And Joel was like, act like you've been here. Because I truly was that guy who was like, I was so excited if I yeah. did something good or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to say I'm sorry for sleeping in your office. That's fine. Um, you know. No worries. And I love you for it. For oh. not for not, you know, thrashing me to the wall and giving me a talking to you. Were oh, bro, nice. I'm we were the same level. What was I going to do? I don't know. Um okay, so we're undateable. We do two lovely seasons. The show goes live, then it goes away as my many shows do. The thing that I really want to talk to you about that I think is so interesting is the grind when it when 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 there wasn't a strike and when network television was still very much alive at least in terms of comedy and there's still are you know they got Abbott Elementary and Young Sheldon but back in the day as far as back as 2014 there were lots of shows and people were selling lots of comedy pilots and I think you more than anyone totally understands that when it's that like two week of shows are staffing up of the grind to get showrunner meetings and what that entails and how you go about doing that because it's such an important part of the process that. No one really tells you about unless like you are already in it and friends with people who are like, yeah. what do you mean? Like you need to be, you know, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. So I just sort of wanted you to free associate or shoot from the hip on your experience with getting showrunner meetings and getting another job after that first or second job. It's a grind. That's a that's the perfect way to put it. It's a grind. Who's the who's the dude? Is it easy on CNN? Kornacki? Yes. Yeah, like when staffing season would come, and again, like you said, it doesn't exist in the same way that it used to, but like when staffing season would come, like a month before, I was like Kornacki with the with the with the magic board, like, okay, this guy, this guy created this show. This girl created this show. This girl knows this guy that I worked with on this show who knows this guy, you know, and it was like literally six degrees of separation. And so I would put together a grid of the showrunner, the producer the writer, whatever, and then I would cross-reference every one of those people with people that I knew, right? And then based off of that, depending on how well I knew them, I would send emails and say, hey, uh, you worked with this person on this show. I'd love to try to get a meeting. Could you send an email and, and, and give me a recommendation? Um, you know, and, and, and for every probably 20 emails that that I would send maybe two or three recommendations would come through and and hopefully one meeting you know um but that's what it was it was a grind and it was it was like days spent on IMDb looking at who's worked with who and and all of that stuff also on Facebook too because when Facebook was uh, you know big before Instagram it was like you could see that like Craig Doyle is friends with Mike Hobart yep. because they work together on Undateable. So yep. if I want a job on Gronish, which Craig is now the co-EP of, I should ask Mike to send him an email. Yeah. Like, it is yeah. so fucking Looney Tunes that this is what it takes to get an interview. But think about, like, if you have a show, right? 
maybe you maybe you have nine spots, right? You want to hire people that that know people you know, so yeah. that you're not hiring, you Strang- know, strangers. Yeah, and 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 you fill a few spots with strangers because you know that's what you should do, and it keeps it exciting. But like you, you need to know that you've got a few people that that come very highly recommended and that you can rely on, you know. Yeah. Because you're running a show. It's it's it is such a hard job. Incredibly challenging. Yeah, you know. Um so from those, you know, and I, I believe it was a few years also after Undateable that you also had some challenges or hardships getting in getting getting that job after Undateable. Um to the point of where I hope you don't mind me for saying this, you were like I was looking at jobs like as like the UPS driver. Yeah. Because it was getting to that point. Yeah. And was it living biblically that was the one, or was it? Yeah, so biblically was, I hadn't worked in 17 months, and I was staring down the barrel of another staffing season going oh, going by, and I had a baby due at the end of May. And yeah, it was, again, it was like another existential crisis. Um, I took my car down to the parking lot where they, you know, accept new Uber drivers. Um, and I was told that my car did not qualify. <laughs> so that was Talk about a fucking Rough. all is lost. That was incredible. Uh, and then I applied to UPS to work in the, like to be a person who takes boxes from whatever warehouse and loads them onto trucks. Um, and I was told that that was not going to happen either. And I literally was like, what is happening to my life? I, 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 I can't get a job at UPS. Um, yeah. And then I had a, I had a, I had a whole bunch of meetings that year and either the shows didn't go or, you know, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And then I met Pat Walsh who was running living biblically. Um, I believe it was your last meeting of the, I think it was. Yeah. And it just, it was one of those meetings that like, it was awesome. Pat and I sat and talked for like an hour and 15 minutes. I felt like we really connected on things. Um, I felt like I'd be good for the show. Uh, and then it was just a matter of, of the show getting picked up or not. Uh, and, you know, thankfully it did. Do you remember where you were when you got the call that you got the offer? Because I do if you don't. Oh, please. Uh, I believe you were swimming with your family or with uh, Elaine and some friends it was a Saturday. Your interview was on a Friday. Don't you love how fucking crazy it is? Uh, you said that you missed the call oh, from your agent. I was at my buddy BS's 40th birthday. Take me through it, Mike, now that I've opened it up. Let's do it. Damn, dude, you're incredible. <laughs> yeah, and I was wearing... Uh, Leopard Speedo. Yes, as I do. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't remember much because I, I think I got pretty drunk at the party. One, because I found out I got the job or whatever. Um, yeah, that's as far as I remember. What do you remember? I remember, so you told me you were in the pool when you got the call from your agent, so it went to voicemail. Yeah. But on the voicemail, your agent told you, we got an offer for you to be on Living Biblically, and it's actually not a bad offer. It's yeah. a better offer than we were anticipating, and that you just, like, you know, did a jig and dove into the pool yeah. or something yeah. to that extent. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's so funny that you remember that. Yeah. Because now, now I can picture it. Well, these moments are so... I mean, like you—that's truly like why I was so excited to talk to you. But because the highs are high and the lows are yeah, 
like truly earth's crust. Yeah. And so you know, I, I, I made a decision, I think pretty soon after uh the acting thing didn't work out. Uh and and uh, when I started writing, I just made a decision. I was like, this this existence as a writer it, it cannot be what defines me. Does that make sense? Yes. And if I if I stop being happy existing like I did when I was acting, then I I I I can go like I can go and do anything else and and live a very fulfilled life, you know, and that freedom to really mean that, you know, if it all stops tomorrow, I'll be bummed, but I can go and make an incredible life doing plenty of other things. Like there's a freedom in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, would I like to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah, I think so. Um, but if it, if it all ends whenever, like I have, I have thought it was going to end so many times that like I'm at peace with however long I get to do this. Truly when, when the W, when the AMPTP or Bob Iger was like, yeah, we're just going to bankrupt the writers so they lose their homes. I was like, fucking been there, dog. Yeah. None of this. Yeah. Like, it doesn't scare me. Good I'm like, try, the bro. floor has fallen out yeah. so many times. Yeah. And I've had to build my life back up from literally, like, I've seen my bank account with a hundred grand and I've seen it with six grand and yeah. I've seen it at $600. Right. So, like, Fuck you. Right. You know, like, I'm, I love doing this so much that I'm going to continue to do it. And I, luckily, because of my wife, and I'm able to continue to live this dream. But I, like you, I, I, I don't see any threat. And, you know, it's like I haven't been able to garner work in however long pre strike. So, like, who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? And I got, you know, like, I got two kids and yeah. I, I love them more than anything and whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, so before the strike happened, what were you working on or doing, uh, and what are you hoping to go back to? This is going to shock you. Uh, my brother created a show and I work on it. <laughs> What's the can show? You, can you believe it? No. Um, he created a show called The Really Loud House. So it's a family show. It's on Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon. And we were in the middle of season two when the strike hit. Mm. Yeah. And so whenever it's over... Uh, my assumption is we'll start right back up and finish. Has your brother or you guys, like, has the network said anything like, oh, when this is over, we can't wait to get you back? Because, like, I fear that they're just, and I'm wrong, but like. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we literally have, like, we have scripts that we need to, they've shot, like, half of. Oh, okay. So we got to, we got to finish. Them. You got some insurance. Yeah, th I, uh, nothing's going away. Well, for you. Who knows? I've, yeah. I like to say, I'm, I'm putting it into the ether. I don't like to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. I hope it comes back. Okay. I, I think it will. Okay, I hope too. Yeah. Um, Mike, before you go, is there any advice that you would give to anyone that's going to have their first day in a writer's room? Whether you're going to be an assistant or a staff writer, just like sort of what you would tell, this is day one or week one for dummies. Yeah, don't push. You know, like, just let it come to you. Not much is expected when you're when you're a staff writer. and there's And there's a real, like, safety and freedom in that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then, like, I, I think one of the things that I've done well in my career, uh, once it, I feel like there's two parts of my career. There's like pre undateable and there's post undateable, whatever. Um, is is that um, I, I try to, and you talked about this earlier. I try to figure out what the showrunner needs, and and relentlessly work towards that. You know. So like, if we're 
if they're looking for a story beat in, in a certain area, I, I try to think about that. Whatever it is, whatever I can do, whatever you can do to make the showrunner's job easier, that will, that will lead to wonderful things. Mike, uh, it goes without saying, but I, I so adore you and truly like, I know when we were in the middle of it, like staying up all night and making those episodes of Undateable, like there were nights when everyone wanted to tear their hair out, but like I truly look back on that as some of the best days of my career, not because it was so exciting to be there, but because like I, there, there is the, the lack of those experiences, just the lack of comedy on network television or like getting to work for 20 weeks on a show that's paid for by network where you have snacks and lunch on a lot. Like that truly is the fucking dream. And I Dude, look back on it as such a magical time. Undateable w was one of the harder shows I've ever worked on, but it was the most fun show. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. If and it's such a bummer you can't watch it anywhere. Yeah. That's what pisses me off. And I get why you can't watch it anymore, but I wish you, like, I would just love to see some of those live episodes with the bands and all the goofiness sure. and, you know, sure. whatever. Yeah, we had some wild times in that writer room. Yeah. Where do we go from here, Mike? Hopefully back to work soon. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, well, dude, thanks for coming to the canyon and having a chicken salad with me. It was delicious. Thank you. Thank I you. I didn't make it. No, I know, but you you provided it. <laughs> I did. Which I appreciate. I did. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done so, keep your eyes peeled for Mr. Mike Hobart. Just on the street. He's got a nice mustache right now. Yeah. Sort of a... It's event-based. <laughs> event-based? What do you mean by that? I love that. I grow it for events. Is this for the strike? No, this is our our podcast here today. This is an event. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank, well, thanks for doing that, dude. Also, Elaine told me she liked it. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Dude, thank you. This has been a delight. You're a delight. You are. 